listeners. I'm Joni B. Cole, host of Author Can I Ask You? In each short conversation, I ask a writer a non-writing related question that lets you and me get to know them just a little bit better as a person. I'm an author myself, so I'm always looking for an excuse to ask the odd questions. Let's get started and meet today's guest. Today, I welcome Joanne Tompkins, author of the new release, What Comes After. Oprah listed the novel as one of the most anticipated books in 2021. The Washington Post describes it as a gritty meditation on loss and redemption. And the New York Times calls What Comes After a nail-biting wallop of a debut novel. Hi, Joanne. Thanks for being here. And congratulations on all the accolades. Hi, Joni. It's fun to be here. Joanne, I know a good part of what comes after was inspired from your long career as a trial lawyer and a mediator. You had to deal with some of the most traumatic situations imaginable. I've heard you say that one of the things, though, that most struck you in that work was how people could not only survive such tragic, even brutal events, but they could do so with love, resilience, and grace. So I wanted to ask you, Joanne, that word grace, what does that mean to you? That is such a wonderful question. To me, it feels like when there is a recognition of our interconnectedness, when we feel each other's hearts in our own, there's grace there. Ultimately, to me, grace feels about connectedness because it's when we're not connected that bad things seem to happen. Can you give an example of a time when you witnessed a demonstration of grace in real life? Oh, my goodness. I mean, so, so many times when I was mediating with traumatized people, just one example was a situation where there'd been a tragic death of a small child in a car accident that was caused by a drunk driver. Mm. And the little girl died at the scenes. Uh, It was awful. And we had a mediation where the person that had caused the injury was there and where we brought the people together. And to me, the grace was that the person, his entire family had sort of disowned him, was there and was willing to just be completely open and vulnerable. And the family also showed incredible grace and accepted his true remorse. And it was really quite a moving scene. Well, reading your book, Grace and forgiveness are themes that really got me thinking because forgiveness is not one of my strong suits. And I can't tell you now that I've finished the book, how I keep coming back to that theme and how it was so beautifully rendered in that story. Oh, good. Thank you. That's one reason I wrote about it. You know, when you're writing, you don't know that your book is going to make its way out into the world. So many books don't. So I always write with the thought that if I'm the only one that ever reads this thing that I'm writing, that it will help my own heart. And so I try to write on things that I need work on. The New York Times described what comes after as an unexpectedly optimistic tale. But of course, the inciting event, and I'm not giving anything away, is a murder-suicide of two teenage boys. So was it hard to sit down at your desk and put yourself back in that story in those characters' pain day after day? That was my job for 20 years, sitting with people in tremendous pain that had been through actually some things way worse than in this book. 
I don't know how to describe it, the sense of deep connection and love when you could really be there for people that have been through these things. For me, there is a pain to it, but there's also a certain positive quality to being witness to what is real in the world. So I don't think it was as hard for me as it would be for a lot of people. And I have to confess that when I think about my next book, I do tend to find myself going, maybe not so intense a book. (laughs) It's pretty exhausting. One of your point of view characters, Isaac, is a devout Quaker. So Isaac is well-practiced in sitting in silence, which can drive some of his family members crazy at times. Yes. (laughs) But I was wondering, are you as comfortable with long silences? Uh, No. When I went and stayed at Pendle Hill, which is a Quaker residential and learning community in Pennsylvania, and I was there nearly a month. So I remember the first couple of dinners there, I would say something and, you know, the social way that you do, and nobody would answer me. And I would be like, oh my God, I've just said something completely inappropriate. But what I discovered is that It isn't that I had been inappropriate. It was more that they were actually taking the time to pause and reflect on what I said and see if it raised anything in them that they wanted to respond to, as opposed to how we normally are in our lives, right? That we're all thinking, what's the next thing we're going to say, you know, and when is that person going to stop so I can say my important thing? It was a really interesting experience. I felt very foreign there for some reason, but then within about 10 days, I started feeling like, oh, this is so lovely. And by the time I left, I just felt really loved in a way that I would call not social. It's not social. It's something much deeper. Hmm. Have you incorporated that comfort with silence in your everyday life? I've always really needed a lot of silence. I seem to have a mind that's easily distracted. And so like, for example, the people that can go write in coffee shops and airports and things like, oh my God, how can you do that, people? I have to have like total quiet. I'm curious, the working title for what comes after was originally Quickenings, which is a reference to the Quaker practice of waiting in silence at meetings for the quickening or a sign for the soul to speak. Can you tell me why you changed the title of the book? I love that title. For so many reasons, because it was the Quaker thing. It was also, we have a pregnant girl in the book. And so the first quickening there and the first quickenings of love. Problem was when we actually went to put it on a cover, it is very, very difficult to put an 11 letter word on a cover. (laughs) And Q is a difficult word from a font perspective to make it look not funny. Then the publisher came to me and they said, it's completely up to you. But we wonder if there's any other titles you have considered, because we think it would really make a difference. And also the fact that quickenings is something that needs to be explained to most people. It also has an association with horror. You know, Frankenstein, when he came to life, was a quickening. And so with the combination of the association with horror and sort of the difficulty of explaining it, I came up with what comes after. And it's a much more simple title, but in some ways I am thankful for it because people, as you say, get caught up in the darkness of the opening. They sometimes think that's what the book's about, but no, the story is actually about what comes after the darkness, not the darkness itself, even though the darkness is there. I agree. What comes after is a beautiful frame for that perspective you share in the book and for that optimism that really is in those pages, despite the difficult story material. Let's switch to the business side of publishing. Can you talk about how you got your agent? 
for me, it was a really long haul. I started writing over 20 years ago and I wrote and wrote and wrote. And I had actually another book that I didn't get an agent for, but I only really tried top agents. You know, I got some nice feedback. Ultimately, at a certain point, I thought, well, I could try to move to more mid-listers. But then I thought, you know what? What I'd rather do is write a better book, right? And then I put it out there. And fortunately, the people that had seen my prior work and had said, well, not this one is probably not right for me, but send me your next one. So I sent it out there. Now, interestingly, Susan Gollum, who is my agent at Writer's House, she was not one of those people. But when I had a number of high-profile agents that were looking at my manuscript, she decided to look at it. And we hit it off. And she's an amazing agent. As an author, you're a bit of an anomaly in that it seems like you have a noticeable lack of social media presence. (laughs) So it begs the question, what are your feelings about social media, especially because as an author in today's era, we're just told all the time we need a strong platform or we will never succeed. Could you talk a little bit about your feelings about social media? I am a very private person. One of the things my agent told me when I asked her about social media, because I was sort of gritting my teeth and thinking, oh, I really need to learn it. And she goes, well, do you like doing it? And I go, no. And she says, are you good at it? And I go, no. And she said, well, then don't do it. You don't need to do it. Now, I feel really, really blessed because not every publisher has the resources and reach and, and clout to get the kind of attention that Riverhead does. So that has been really helpful to me. I think it is really critical for most authors. And fortunately, I have been really, really lucky. I was wondering, you live in Port Townsend, Washington, which seems like a beautiful place. And you chose a similar setting for your novel. Can you describe what your idea is of what would be the most fun or perfect weekend you can imagine without leaving town? Oh, you know what? I have a person of simple, simple desires. So what I love, like right now, it is sunny. The leaves are just shimmering in the wind and water is gorgeous. And to just walk on the trails and look at the water and the boats out there. And I love a really lovely meal. I particularly love really lovely meals that somebody else makes for me. (laughs) Like I love to like, you know, walking and reading. And if I get a chance to write a little bit and I recently have taken up the accordion and I'm simple seeing some friends and hugging some friends now. It's so amazing. Isn't that wonderful? We can go back to hugging at least a little bit. It's hard not to be almost ecstatically giddy happy. I could see you going around hugging everybody. (laughs) I feel like it. (laughs) Port Townsend to me sounds like the kind of place where writers go when they want to work on their book and want to go to some idyllic setting to get away? You know, people do. We call ourselves an arts community. And now you're one of the artists, one of the celebrity artists. Uh Oh, people will be starting to drive by your house and with your preference (laughs) for privacy, this will not be good. (laughs) um, it, It hasn't happened yet. I mean, if the book ever went big, they might drive by my old house because an autobiographical part of the book is the house. Oh, the house is such a character in the book. Yes. And the dog is autobiographical. The dog was my dog. Oh my gosh, Rufus. Oh, I can't even talk about Rufus. He's just such a bundle of love and snot. (laughs) And he was. I tried to write a memoir about him, but it was really a terrible memoir. So I decided to make him a fictional character. And um, yes, he had a runny nose his entire life. (laughs) Oh gosh, he was so 
so central to the book, actually. Well, Joanne, I have one more question I'd like to ask you, which is this. If you were to write a six-word memoir, what would it be? This is very fitting, since we were just talking about Rufus, who was based on my dog, Hank. (laughs) Six words. I think it would be Bodhisattva Dog Changes My Life's Course. I always thought that my dog, Hank, was... I've had many dogs and I have adored every one of them, but that dog who was like the dog Rufus was something more than a dog. I mean, many people felt that he was very, very much a dog in the sense of all the gross things that dogs are. (laughs) He also was just the most compassionate, enlightened creature. So he was like a bodhisattva, an enlightened being who decides to stay on the planet to help other people become enlightened. And he really changed my life. I'm sure there's a lot of dog lovers out there who will relate to that. Well, Joanne, I know you've been inundated with interview requests. So I appreciate you taking this time to talk with me. And I do want to say I was so moved. Actually, I was changed by your book. So thank you for writing it. Oh, wow. That is such a lovely thing to say. And I appreciate hearing it. It means a lot. Listeners, be sure to pick up a copy of Joanne Tompkins' new novel, What Comes After, available wherever books are sold. So that's it for this episode of Author, Can I Ask You? Thanks, everybody, for listening. And if you like what you heard, please spread the word and visit me on my website, JoniBCole.com. In the meantime, take care, act civil, and don't be afraid to ask the odd questions.